94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. In our Kumu Kokua segment, this is where we bring in Hawaii's leaders and experts to talk about the issues you care about during the COVID-19 crisis mm-hmm. and uh, have them answer your questions. And it's Aloha Friday, so you, you know, know what, what that means. That means. <laughs> yeah. We got the LG in the house. Well, figuratively the speaking. The member of the Rise and Drive show. <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Hello. Good morning, sir. Great to hear your voices. Oh, thank you for making the time because I know you are crazy busy. <laughs> um, can you update us? Uh, we always love to hear, you know, we, we open up the floor to you and uh, want to hear what is the latest with our health care response. Well, we've now entered phase two. Here we are on March. Are I'm we? sorry, on May 1st. Does that, are, are we considered in phase two, like recovery? Is that where we are? Well, we are in phase two as in, the, yes, the Kamaaina economy now has begun to open. Okay. And we'll talk about that plenty, I'm sure. We have actually, it's, it's clear we flattened the curve. We've now had over 10 days with single-digit cases. And so the, the volume of virus, the, the viral load, as I describe it, for the whole state is declining because we now have had 85% of those who contracted COVID-19 uh, put into the recovery uh, category. They've mm-hmm. recovered. And and we now have so few cases, we have very, very limited spread locally. And, and that is what happens when um, you get down to a certainly low number that just can't survive the virus. So for now, we're in a very good spot from a health standpoint. We did not see a surge in our hospitals, thank God. And, and that meant that we didn't overwhelm our ventilators or our intensive care units. And so that is the end of phase one. Now in phase two, as businesses have actually started to open, and mostly businesses that are kind of in the kind of green category, so to speak, as in they're very safe, they don't have much person-to-person contact, and people can socially distance. Mm -hmm. That is where we've started. It looks very conservative, but that's just because we're also getting people to put their protocols together so that they can make sure they can socially distance and so on. But economic recovery is, is the name of the game now. And we saw enormous surges, of course, of unemployed, and that is... It's disheartening, but at the same time, as fast as those jobs uh, shut down, many will return. Mm-hmm. We expect that of the 250,000 or so individuals that had to te- you know, temporarily apply for unemployment, now a large number will be able to resume employment as we open businesses up. So we will chop down that number very significantly, and that will make it easier to get people's unemployment uh, resource. I know it's been very frustrating. We're now getting over 10,000 people processed every day. And there's even new programs that are that are being made available for individuals if they were like um, private consultants or other mm-hmm. other people in the private disciplines to get some resource. So this is phase two, and it will go from, in my opinion, uh, May and June, where the full the full Kamaaina or local internal economy gets started before we see large numbers of tourists come in. That eventually will happen, but first. First things first, we want to get get our state kind of churning again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've been talking uh, in our newscasts about the this first wave. This is like the first full day of that first bunch of categories of businesses. When will the next wave of businesses be reopened, do you think? And who? what types of businesses will be included then? So the Gov makes these announcements and he'll make them uh, at least once a week, if not more often mm-hmm. we've encouraged uh, the team to always be ready by midweek to make a full announcement <coughs> excuse me a full announcement for a secondary kind of um, 
segment of jobs. And each so each week, then, about the following Monday, we'll be able to get those jobs up and running. We've obviously just started, and I know people are super eager to get the next level going. Anything that you can imagine that has very minimal direct person-to-person contact where mm-hmm. people can socially distance, that's the next wave of jobs. And then the last jobs that will come uh, fully open are the ones that are very high-intensity, uh, difficult to socially distance jobs. So restaurants are now looking at their plans, as are hotels, trying to find ways to make sure that they can uh, spread out the, the customers to the restaurant, make sure they're six feet between tables, make sure that uh, their their wait, waiting staff is well covered with gloves and masks and so on. So we're really doing uh, a lot of work behind the scenes, and you can imagine the different categories of jobs that way. There's also lots of work being done for the end game, which is the next, the phase three in my mind, which is when tourism resumes and the other 100,000 individuals that rely on tourism end up back into the workforce. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is going to need to happen for phase three to start? And and when are you looking at that? Well, I don't have a specific date yet, but I will say this, that phase three, in my opinion, depends on the ability to really assess how much risk there is for Hawaii. And I'm getting some advanced models uh, to me today, this this afternoon, about exactly what the risk would be for travelers with and without testing. And I feel pretty strongly at this point, after looking at the initial numbers, that we should ask anyone who's coming in for the rest of the year uh, to have a basic uh, COVID test before they come. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is we can decrease by 80 to 90 percent the number of of asymptomatic carriers that would come into the state. We can really chop that down. And the numbers are important because, well, let me give you an idea. Last June, last June, we had 950,000 people come to Hawaii. It's an unbelievable number, 950,000. If we had even a fraction of that, 10 or 20% of that number come in this June or this July, we really are going to need to make sure that we've tested them and make sure that they're not they're not COVID positive because we can't have a large percentage of those individuals here and reinfecting the state of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on that plan with lots and lots of people. And I expect to make that kind of recommendation to the gov and the team. And I think that that is the safest way to go and probably the best way to go for our economy because the, the long and short of it is if we are the healthiest state with the lowest mortality rate, like we've had, mm-hmm then we are going to be very well positioned uh, for the future. People will see Hawaii as a healthy destination, a safe destination, in addition to it being a beautiful destination. And I expect that we're going to make up all of our economic losses and more once we have that, you know, locked in. But we won't have it locked in if we see a ton of people surge into Hawaii that are that are positive and we don't know it and then spreading it. That That's not going to be good for us. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. And part of that is... Wearing masks, right? <laughs> because yes, well, we're going to have people wear masks no matter what when they're in group settings for no. the summer and the fall. But we, um, yeah, we definitely more than just masks. I think we have to test to make sure people are uh, negative to the best of our ability, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. will keep the viral load really low. But if we don't do that, we will have a lot of people walking around that are positive, and also the amount of work that would need to need to be done to trace individuals that came in that we did not have any idea whether they were positive or negative or had the disease or hadn't the disease. We don't have the capacity. We are too small a state. 
to have the thousands of people that would be necessary to do that. And I think when people come to that realization, among others, mm-hmm. they're going to realize the most straightforward way to get our tourism back on track is to have a simple test that we can verify. And so I'm working on some pretty complex plans with my team to get partners on the mainland and here to do that. Yeah. And I know it, at first blush, it, it makes people a little, they pause because they think, wait, there's going to be a, a special thing I have to do to go to Hawaii. But the flip side of that is everyone else thinks, well, how fantastic. I know that everyone I'm traveling with or spending time at the beaches with is negative. Mm-hmm. And that makes makes for a really great destination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, dovetailing with that, I, I, I just wondered if you're, as you are making plans for reopening the economy eventually to tourism coming in, you know, we've been talking a little bit about that, you know, new latest reports where, you know, they're saying expect another wave of coronavirus uh, this fall and winter. Um, I think that new report just came out this morning or last night, actually. Um, does that... Um, how does that affect your plans when you think about opening to tourism? Well, it is possible that that will happen. It's, it's, that's really just speculation. We don't know actually if that's going to happen or mm-hmm. not. Though we'll be monitoring it and doing tests as necessary. We may be right back where we were before as far as testing, which is a clear indicated need to test every symptomatic person and all of their contacts. And that's also something that Department of Health has been told they need to, to beef up, and they're aware of that. The numbers that the CDC and the feds have given is 30 per 100,000. That would be of our population. That's a big number. That, that's, that's over 400 people doing this kind of thing. And it's more than that if you consider the tourists that will be around. So it would be over 500 people. Mm-hmm. So that's a calculation. But once again, that, that's a yet another argument for the case I'm making, which is just simply get a test on people before they come here. There will be a gap. Some people will not test positive yet. But that will still diminish by a large percent how many people are walking around positive. So all these things are important. Of course, there's other wild cards. I mean, just like the possibility that we get a a secondary surge, we also have the possibility that one of the hundreds of companies that are working towards a vaccine in partnership develops one. Mm -hmm. We've never seen an effort like that before. So I think there's lots of different possibilities. So I'm really focused on kind of the next three to six months. These next three to six months will give us a good baseline capacity to take care of problems that come up. And also, we we will be getting through the disease. This thing ends no matter what by next May, no matter what, because they, it will likely burn out to, the, to a large degree like other coronaviruses have in the past this mm-hmm. year. But over time, we will get more immunity. These things do tend to die like SARS and MERS. And in 2021... Hopefully, we're not spending too much time fighting it through the winter. But if we are, we'll have a lot more weapons at our disposal. 94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We're in the middle of our conversation with Hawaii's healthcare liaison, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Sir, <laughs> thank you again for staying with us. You bet. Good morning. Continuing the conversation, we were uh, uh, talking about testing. And I've been hearing about these antibody tests. Uh, I think we last week's conversation with you, you alluded to it coming onto the island. When I heard the announcement that they arrived here, I was like, oh, that's the thing that the lieutenant governor was talking with us about. Um, Who now how you said I think you've said before when those arrive, that's kind of like part of the game changing, uh, you know, happening here on the islands. Can you explain what those antibody tests are for, like what they're supposed to accomplish, who they're for? 
Sure. Uh, they have a lot of different capacity, and if, so it's not kind of a one-size-fits-all one use. Now, the current ones we have are quite good. These are the ones that uh, Clinical Labs are, is using, and DLS is going to be using, if not now, very soon. It's a blood draw, so there are a couple versions. The, the cheapo versions that have been out there are just the finger stick ones, and mm -hmm. eventually they make it good, but they weren't there yet. But this blood draw one is much more reliable, they say, and what it tells you is uh, you get the blood draw, and then you know, an hour or two later, the results are in. They can run over a thousand uh, a day, easy. It's not a big deal, and it can be run off any blood sample. So if you were in for your 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 uh, check for your diabetes or your hemoglobin count or your whatever um, your cholesterol, you can get it tested if your doctor or nurse orders it. Now, what it tells you is number one, which antibodies you have to the virus. So it tells you whether you were recently exposed to the virus or not at all, let's actually start there, not at all exposed. So for seven days, you don't get any antibody response. Mm -hmm. Then you get what's called IgM response, which the antibody starts going up after a week and like a big, like a, on a curve. And then after that, you get uh, what's called the IgG response, which is a different immunoglobulin. And that these antibodies tell you, did I have the disease? Do I have it actively? Uh, have I developed uh, antibodies to the disease and, and likely immunity. So it's very valuable because it can give us an idea, number one, like how many people in our state actually have had the virus. We can do sampling now much more broadly, and I've encouraged the Department of Health to do thousands of these tests in the background so that we can see, like, New York was able to find out, okay, they got 13.3% of their people that have had COVID-19 mm -hmm. in their state. Well, we would like to know that also. We know that we have tested positive 618 people as of uh, today, this morning. But we'd also like to know what we all suspect, which is that other people had it over a different time and therefore how much immunity we have. So there's that. It also can be used, uh, depending on what your, your pleasure is, we could use this as one of our ways to test people if they're coming into the state, whether or not they are actively having the disease or are uh, well over it. That's another thing. So mm -hmm. we can get kind of an idea of where they were. Uh, and it can be coupled very nicely. If, if resources weren't a question at all, we would test everybody for both the antibody test and the antigen test, and we would know exactly where everyone stood. But that's a pretty big lift with a million four hundred thousand people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is a number that we would be coming into the state mm -hmm. every year. So that would be right. kind of expensive. How much? Which, by the way, how much do these these tests cost? Uh, the, the one that Clinical Labs is somewhere between 45 and $50, and some insurance is likely to cover it. But even if it doesn't, of course, a lot of people seem eager to, to ask their provider. Because, like, the scenarios I hear all the time are, like, it's, uh, it's a person who works and is out and has had to be out there like a firefighter or whatever. They were sick in February, but it wasn't a big deal. They didn't have many symptoms. There were some sick people at home. And they wonder, did I have COVID or didn't I? Well, if you test now, they will have IgG antibodies if they if they were positive back weeks or months ago. And that is very helpful. There is a debate right now whether or not this kind of immunity is sufficient. But in most cases of historic coronaviruses, people did get pretty substantial immunity. And that's usually the case for any viruses. Once you've had it, you usually don't get it again. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's super helpful information. It will empower the Department of Health greatly, and I'm looking forward to using it as a tool to uh, to set our policy for return visitors and, and people coming into Hawaii because it's a, the, 
especially once the finger stick won. And I, by the way, I, I had one of my um, physician colleagues test me yesterday just to do a quick test on to see, you know, what people were experiencing. And it was a quickie test. I don't know if it was a high enough quality one. I, I mean, I tested negative. I haven't really suspected that I, I caught COVID yet. But I, I checked, and it was a very quick, easy process. And I think that that is a, a valuable thing for us to be able to experience. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those, those rapid, rapid little ones where it's a finger stick, we could do a lot of those if we had to, and they're very inexpensive, but they haven't been proven to be uh, sensitive or specific enough yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I can uh, help people who are listening just kind of synthesize all of that, So, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. So the arrival of these antibody uh, tests here in the islands is help. Is, it's going to become a tool in helping us to get to the point eventually where we can open up our gates to tourists coming in because tests like this, of course, in addition to regular testing will tell us who's infected and who's not. Am I, am I kind of synthesizing that right? Yes. Yeah. My, my preference at this moment, I'm getting all the data that I can, studying this very carefully with a lot of good experts. My preference overall would be, and this is for tourism in general to return, would be to simply put out the word that people who are going to travel to Hawaii uh, must get a test three days before, mm-hmm. before they come and it be negative. Otherwise, we will have to quarantine them until we confirm, you know, we'll have to quarantine them like we have been. Mm-hmm. Not perfect, but it's going pretty well. As you see, our numbers are very low uh, for up to 14 days. And that will incent people to go get a quick test. They have plenty of uh, advance notice. We'll be uh, very accommodating as to which tests they get as long as they are confirmed to be okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and reliable. And that is a great way for us to welcome tourists back here without any kind of uh, any tensions between our local community and tourism. We want to make sure that the people that are flying airplanes are feeling safe. The stewardesses are safe. We want to make sure our hotel workers are feeling comfortable that there's not a large number of people or a high risk that they're going to catch COVID. And the only way to really do that is to have a negative test. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can't test everybody when they arrive. We can't put people into quarantine and then test thousand, two thousand, thirty thousand people. That will not work. And certainly wouldn't work at the airport. So the obvious answer is ask people to get a test before they come. If a few people forget to do it or don't do it successfully, we can do a few tests, of course, here. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the capacity to essentially do an extra eight hundred thousand people in a month. Obviously we're only doing right now, you know, five hundred to a thousand tests a day, even mm-hmm. though we're capable of doing more than that. To immediately ramp up like a crazy number would be required is not sensible. So that's that's my plan right now to to strongly recommend that to all of our our leadership and one by one people are seeing the wisdom in that it's the safest way and remember there's this collateral benefit long term which is if we are the healthiest, safest, cleanest state everybody is going to want to come here long term and that will be very very good for our economic recovery. If we are in question, if we have multiple outbreaks because tourists come from all over the world and we catch their COVID-19 in the second and third and fourth um, iteration of the disease, it will be very dangerous for our economy going forward. So mm-hmm. this is the safe, the safe, smart move, I think, and I hope people will embrace it. I, I'm just one voice, but um, I'm telling a lot of people about it. And I think that it's a good 
starting place. Remember, this is not forever. We're talking about 2020, mm-hmm. right? I, I expect us to get to a vaccine before too terribly long, you know, sometime in the fall or winter. Mm-hmm. And then, then we will tell people, okay, either show us that you've been vaccinated or you have a negative test. Got it. And Got it. that'll be very good. So I hope that we do this. I think that it makes sense. I think it's also the simplest and most cost-effective way to open our our tourist economy because can you imagine what the cost will be at hotels if every person that they look at might be a positive case and every time somebody leaves their room, they have to sanitize it with some kind of crazy toxic chemicals to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're not, or to leave their rooms vacant for an extra three days until they feel the virus is dead. I mean, that would be very... Uh, counterproductive from a from a tourism standpoint. It's expensive, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. The losses will mount right away. It might as well not be open. So, I think it's just it's taking people a little time as I talk to them to realize this is the this is probably the only way to do it because it's so different than what we've ever done before. But uh, give it a moment. You know, let it kind of. Um, I, I'm interested to hear what viewers tell you guys and and tell me. I, let, let people kind of mull it over a little bit. But all the people that I've talked to that are just local people, they seem to like the idea of other people taking responsibility for their health before they travel and then coming here clean. Mm-hmm. That is the way to be a good visitor. And, uh, and that's the way for us to kind of ensure that we're going to show aloha to our, our visitors. That's mm-hmm. great. Thanks. Um, Lieutenant Governor, I wanted to ask you, too, I'm See, as time has gone on and people, I guess, have more time on their hands, I'm seeing yep. more posts from people of, I heard it from a friend of a friend, I uh, got this from somebody else, or oh, look at these two doctors sitting at a table, they must be for real. And uh, I'm just curious, how do people weed that stuff out? Because I feel like we're playing, uh, Esme and I were talking about it before, we feel like we're playing whack-a-mole with the with the information you know what i mean and you just people just don't know what is real they're they're not sure who to trust and uh i was just hoping you could help clarify that a little bit well it's a little it's hard to trust that kind of thing because a lot of people who go online like that have an agenda and i think those two gentlemen actually right up front they announced that they're entrepreneurs i found that very weird i've very rarely heard physicians when they're talking clinically to say hey by the way i'm an entrepreneur um, not that I'm against that. It's just that that's a different space. That, pro- that suggests they're selling an ideology that will serve their needs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Internet is very treacherous right now. One reason it's treacherous is even if the information is correct, a compelling one-off story, which, which can, can really move us emotionally, may be an outlier. And if it's an outlier, it should not guide what our overall policy is. Like one person got better taking hydroxychloroquine which is very, I'm great. I'm so glad they got better. But if it's not a part of a, a validated study, then we don't know if that was what it was or the virus just burned out or what have you. Maybe we end up treating people with that medication instead of something else that might be better. Or we don't know what the side effects are going to be. So mm-hmm. those stories can be very dynamic. And I don't, I'm not trying to pick on, on hydroxychloroquine. I don't know. But I'm saying I've heard some really wild stories and then it's, it's, a, it's a large distraction from good science. And mm-hmm. you have to overall have good science for these things. The problem, of course, is that viruses and coronaviruses in specific, they come and then they're gone for 10 years. And so it's very difficult to get people to do good research on it because, uh, to be frank, there's no money in it. 
And so mm. a lot of the, the funding for research into something that, that might not come back for 10 years is usually not there, as opposed to the funding for something that's here all the time, like diabetes or cancer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Lieutenant Governor, if I can have you uh, come back for a second to the question about the testing and the monitoring of our tourists coming in eventually, eventually, right? Um, Yesterday, I saw uh, some footage of a conversation in our Senate COVID-19 committee that was pretty heated talking about um, why aren't the... I, I, I know we are down to a trickle of visitors coming in now compared with 30 thousand a day we used to have now we're down to like a hundred like a hundred a day or so i don't know why they're still coming but they're still coming and uh uh, some of our senators were quite upset that uh, people are just you know being expected to just stick to an honor system to stay in quarantine are we going to see some changes on that so there will have to be wholesale changes when we have real numbers of of Mm course coming here i I mean I, i watched that conversation with interest because on the one hand, what do you want? I mean, we have a flat curve with almost no cases, and for the you know the the recent past, we've we've defeated expectations. I mean, we we have almost we've had no fatalities practically at all for the last two weeks. We've had no surge at our intensive care units. We've had no surge in our ventilators, and we've had no community spread virtually at all. And certainly, the tourists. The time we did have spread, it was our own people at Maui Memorial Hospital and McDonald's in Kona. So. This tiny number of tourists, that was a lot of time spent on what is not the central problem. The central problem is what are we going to do when tourism resumes? And that is when they make some good points. And that's when we are going to have to have a wholesale program because when we do have 10,000 tourists a day at some point again, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a very modest number. That's only 30% of our normal capacity. There's no way we will be able to track and and uh, and quarantine people. Just no way. That's why I really see no answer other than getting tests beforehand. And so that argument over 100 tourists, of which probably, if you're if you're averaging out the numbers, if you have 120 tourists coming in, you have one to two people that could be asymptomatic carriers a day. And that number creates such a low R naught, which is the spread rate, that it is a success uh, from a spreading standpoint a success Mm, mm -hmm. now if they're worried about the future then those points are well taken and then the the, then of course we have to have a plan and so i do appreciate when the senators press for the future plans because if we don't test people then we're going to need large quarantine facilities and we should basically expect people not to come we will have tiny numbers that's not what the plan is the plan is ultimately to open the economy we're not just going to have no tourism until COVID-19 is done in the planet. We can't, you know, we can't afford that. People don't want that. They're not going to stay home for a year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my my main focus is always making sure people don't die. But the the capacity to die because you didn't get your regular health care or because you had depression or because you couldn't get out or goodness knows what is also there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that uh, we'll have to test people. I think it will be excellent when we do. And it will be very low concern and then those those arguments that you saw i guess that were heated yesterday mm-hmm. go out the window because then you won't need to uh quarantine people so got it um it, it's it's an interesting process to watch i think that right now people are just there's just so much frustration built up that when um when sometimes the legislators go at the administration and the administration goes at the legislators it's probably just because people are frustrated 
that we love our people so much and we hate to see anyone suffer and it gets expressed with these kind of battles. Um, Lieutenant Governor, I, you know, we talk with you because you are the healthcare liaison. We talk with you a lot about healthcare issues. Um, but, uh, you know, we would be remiss with if we didn't also address, uh, and you started to allude to that uh, toward the end of your last remark about the unemployment situation and people still being, you know, without work, some of them not being able to even claim uh, unemployment yet. I, what do you say to people who are, I'm no doubt, still coming to you going, I still don't have any unemployment benefits. I still don't know where my money is going to come from or how I'm going to pay for food or rent or et cetera, et cetera. How, how are we, are you folks going to tackle this next? Well, it is. it was, of course, a giant challenge because you had 300,000 applications in a very short period of time, mm-hmm. of which 82,000, I think, were duplicates. But you still had 220,000 applications that had to be done. We're now getting over 10,000 people cleared per day, which is... No small fee. I'm not saying it's perfect or I don't feel terribly for people that had to, to wait. Um, but as long as they can hold on, they'll get back pay for their unemployment. And it's a, it's a, just a process. That, that was 25% of our whole state applying. Mm-hmm. And that's, imagine 25% of our whole state needing to go to a clinic or 25% of our whole state needing to pick up spam as be or 25% of our state picking up doing large paperwork, it's going to be an incredible challenge that we've never dealt with. We've never had an event, ever, any yeah. event, now that I think about it, in the state of Hawaii that had 250,000 people. Unless, unless you tell me otherwise, I don't think we ever had anything probably more than 50,000 people at a single time. So just think, now you have an event, think of this as an event where 250,000 people need to get help and they absolutely deserve it and must have it. And that's what's going on. So. The Department of, of Labor has really been, you know, they've been sweating and sweating tears over this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so my expectation is that with at 10,000 a day over the course of 10 days or so, we'll get to all the backlog and people will get their back checks. And, you know, some people just have to be patient. Uh, you know, I talked to some family members even on my wife's side that, that had been going through some of these challenges and uh, they, uh, you know, they did get through the system. I was happy to hear they tried multiple times and they told me only at the end that they got through, but I was glad to hear it. So please guys be patient. There's also other programs. You heard about the PUA program, which mm-hmm. is more for like, it's, it's very interesting that we're doing that for private contractors, people that don't have traditional jobs, even to find some resources for them, which I think is good. So expect this to change soon. I would have done it differently on a national level. Honestly, I was talking to Jamie about this last night. What I would have done is I would have given everybody, irrespective of an application, a certain amount of money uh, below a certain threshold of wealth, period. Mm-hmm. And and I would have then, because I think that your, your margin of error would have been small. And yes, some people would have probably gotten resources that they may not have to have, but I also know that those very individuals would then reach out to their neighbors or charity, and we would we would encourage that. That's that's how I would have approached it nationally, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course that would drift into the state, and it would have meant that we didn't have this challenge at all. It would have been kind of like a check to every household. <laughs> you that get a check, easier. and you get a check, and you get a check. <laughs> yes, I know what you're and saying. You're gonna yeah. do it. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and 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 you could have said then, like for instance, I have um, I have one relative. He doesn't live in Hawaii, but who is um, very poor. And often I, I do support. 
if I had somehow received a check, that's where the money would have gone immediately, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's there are ways to do these things. That's playing Monday morning quarterback, but um, let's just say it's a little bit above my pay grade. I'm not you know in that position. So I think that we certainly can do better always, but if people do look at it through the lens of this was an event for 250,000 people, please understand then that that's not – that's usually an event you plan for for a whole year. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if you're out there and you're planning for, let's say you're planning for your um, 50th birthday and you, you're going to have 500 people, you might plan for four months for that to get pull that off. Sure. This one we had essentially no advance notice or very little, and in turn we had to take care of 250,000 people. So I hope people will be satisfied by the end. Mostly people are just really hurting, and I want that pain to diminish. So. My goal, if I can reiterate, is that we restore the Kama'aina economy throughout May, which means about 150 out of the 250,000 people that lost jobs Mm -hmm. that we can. And then we turn tourism on with a smart plan, and we begin to chop down that number. It won't go away right away because we're not going to 100% tourism, no way. But we'll shrink it. And uh, in the meanwhile, we will also continue support for those who don't get back to work and we will begin to reinvent what Hawaii is, so there'll be new opportunities. I think some people are going to go back to school, honestly, and some people should be given extra opportunities to do that. And we should get new trades, and we should you know, take care of people that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't want to put people through that challenge right now. First, let's get through. We, we survived phase one, right? Yes. Very, very casualties, and we should all be grateful for that. And then as phase two goes from now Let's. I'll define it for the first time here with you. I think phase two is from now till July 4th, where we restore the Kama'aina economy and begin tourism. That phase will be meaningful because we'll be monitoring that we don't get new cases and we'll be also really hacking down the economic hurt that, that has happened. Mm-hmm. And then phase three really begins when we can ramp up tourism. And I bet you anything people are going to be calling in. I, I bet you a buck right now. They're going to be calling in and saying, I really liked it when they're was quiet and the beaches were empty. <laughs> I didn't like the fact that I didn't have money, but I liked it when people weren't here. So take advantage, guys. Now we got the beaches back to you. Jog slowly on the beach, you know, <laughs> be safe around people and um, and enjoy the, you know, enjoy the fact that you've sacrificed greatly, but you've done an amazing thing that won't be forgotten for years. Yeah. 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 It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. What's up, Lieutenant Governor, what is coming down the pike now, like in the next couple of weeks? What can we expect to see happen with the state? Well, we can expect um, pretty dynamic announcements uh, from the government, from from Governor and and our team on the local businesses that we can open up. You can expect, um, you know, you can expect people to be eager. You can expect um, the mayor of Honolulu to be eager to come out one day before the gov and the gov will then tell them hey come on so, you know, but, you know, but you know i give them credit we want all we all want to get back to work and mm-hmm. so you know there's, there's nothing like starting golfing and and dog grooming early so mm. that was great and now let's um make sure we get everybody back to work so the gov will do that and we will continue to take care of other issues like we'll monitor the homeless condition make sure there's no spread there we will monitor nursing homes we will get more and more jobs and then you'll hear another announcement about jobs i mean that'll happen we'll also likely begin to roll out plans for people to anticipate 
like what date we can start doing inter-island travel mm-hmm. and what the actual rules on travel are going to be. Those are going to be big announcements. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to sharing them with you as long as you decide you need me. <laughs> oh, you come on anytime. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be looking forward to those announcements. Yeah. So yes, we are definitely gonna want you. As we get into that part, it's gonna be really important to mm-hmm. to stay as informed as possible. Yeah. All kinds of rumors are flying around already mm-hmm. with people like, well, yeah. oh, oh, golf courses. Oh, okay, so then that means the next thing is that, you know what I mean? People it's hairdressers, and we're like, oh, yeah, no. People are making their yeah, own yeah. assumptions no, of no, how no. it's going to go or what they can do, and you're going, no, it's still not at that point. And I, that that's the part that makes me nervous yeah. is, you know, you, you yeah. let the gate open a little bit, and all of a sudden somebody just bum rushes the thing and tries to slam it open. Yeah. At the very least, Lieutenant Governor, yeah. um, Kind of like a priority system of which businesses are the lowest risk to kind of the highest risk. Um, is that something right. that um, uh, perhaps maybe we can share that online or something or um, or you can just kind of share maybe in a minute, just kind of give the idea of what that is for our listeners so that they know that that's what you guys are looking at? Yes, we have a, um, we have we have a couple different dynamic groups. And Allen's is one of them for sure, uh, with lots of analytics behind it that puts together a system of kind of like four categories of risk. Mm-hmm. Think of them in terms of red, orange, yellow, and green, okay? And and as categories are safer, the businesses open up. And it tends to be the businesses that require the least planning, that have the least face-to-face contact, the least difficulty social distancing, those are the ones that are in the green. And some of the other factors are, do we have adequate capacity to test, to screen, to um, trace individuals, given the possibility for, you know, little explosions of disease. And so all these things tie into one another, but it kind of is true that at some point, people are right. We have very low viral load, and you have to rip the bandage off. And um, the fortunate thing is we've been, we've been a healthy community, and we have good, healthy hospital capacity. But you don't want to you don't want to open up one large industry without ad- adequate precautions that could overwhelm the system right away. And so all those factors go into the four, four-tiered system. But the governor will increasingly, I'm sure, show graphics and express it that way so that people can understand what comes. And I mm-hmm. think people want a calendar, actually. They want a calendar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of that. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so uh, you'll get that. You know, that is what will happen. But it has taken a lot of work, and we've actively asked people in their industries to plan, uh, to you know, to create plans that will do that. So, okay. um, lots of lots of work going on, and I, you know, I would expect next Friday we'll be talking about a large number of additional uh, work disciplines that are open. In addition, to, you heard the early stuff: real estate services mm-hmm. where people weren't face to face, car services, truck services, pet grooming, car washes, detailing, tutoring, mm-hmm. music lessons, golf. The next level of things will be an extension of those, which are not a lot of face-to-face time, and then uh, businesses that can socially distance. And I know everyone's waiting for restaurants and, um, you know, the capacity to do what we do a lot of, which mm-hmm. is eat together and be out, uh, be out together. And I hope that will come soon, too, that we can start getting our gatherings a little bit more uh, sizable and we can start seeing one another, the people that we love. So you can hang out with your family at Google, you know... <laughs> you didn't have this happen yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was just exactly. when you were telling that story. When you were telling that story, I was like, man, going to dinner, like family dinners, must be so much fun for you. Because it's yeah, like, Josh, be- come sit down, sit Great. down. 
<laughs> oh man, I got a lot of people asking me what's going on, and and I just tell them what I know. I, I don't know everything at all. I, I'm listening more than I'm talking <laughs> with you. Oh, to walk in your shoes. Oh my goodness, mm. I do not envy. As long as I get to give them back to you, I don't mind walking a little bit in your shoes. It's fine. Thank you for taking the time, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again uh, next week, Friday, Lieutenant Governor. We appreciate it. Thank you for being with us on Kumukukua. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Good luck, everybody. You're going to be fine.